All right, thank you, uh, Brady's father, for giving us that timely word. Um, uh, I heard that uh, there's some college students uh, that are here. If you're a college student and this is uh, your first time today, if you just raise your hand to show us where you are. Some college students in there? All right. Welcome. Welcome to New Philadelphia. Are you, you guys from, I heard there's some Singapore students. Is there a Singapore student here today? No? Hong Kong. Hong Kong, all right. All right, Hong Kong, all right. You know, did you know that there was a report published the other day, Hong Kong uh, is number one in the world for being uh, free of uh, business corruption. In terms of business, it is the uh, most free and corruption-free area to do business in the world. And uh, Korea was actually ran up four notches, so they were at like 28 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, North Korea is actually the very bottom, and then America is at uh, number eight. So with all the corruption that goes on in America, apparently America is still a good place to do business. There's still a lot of honest people there. Um, before I, I begin my message, I want to share a testimony. Uh, last week, we got to share uh, a bunch of testimonies from our missions trip about healing. And uh, we just want to uh, continue to share testimonies of healing that have been coming in. And so uh, I just want to share to you a testimony about a sister named Jenny Ko from Melbourne, Australia. Exactly one year ago, I got to speak an, in Melbourne at a conference there at a church called ACF. And uh, I remember praying for a young lady named Jenny. She was a drummer of the praise team. And uh, she had been fighting thyroid, can thyroid cancer for a while. And so it was a pretty uh, serious case. And we prayed for healing for her. And throughout the year, she's been receiving healing. Um, but her condition was getting worse. And then uh, she was here visiting us for about a couple months, the last couple months during her break. And right before she went back for university. Um, and so she got a lot of prayer while she was here. She's getting prayer left and right. And uh, this is what she wrote us the other day. She said, I just wanted to share some good news to y'all. I just received a call from my doctor telling me that I'm completely clean. Yes. Completely. She says, well, apparently there's still a small thyroid tissue in me, but it's not big enough to go through any treatment or go under any radiotherapy. So I'm going to go back on my regular meds, and they're just going to take an ultrasound of my neck every six months or so. Because it's so small that it could just disappear as time goes by. Praise the Lord. I know that I am healed by Jesus through your prayers. Just only four months ago, my doctor told me there's a high chance of me going through surgery or radiotherapy and she's even booked me to be hospitalized next monday when my doctor called i wanted to hear jenny i don't really know what happened but you're completely clean but instead as soon as she rang me she was over the moon i guess that's a australian lingo <laughs> she was over the moon and said jenny you are completely clean i can't believe it well i can but i can't ah I just wanted to thank all my ECF family and my new Philadelphia family that prayed for me for the past two months. I was there. Uh, woo I have experienced another miracle. I know that it wasn't a coincidence. I know I'm healed by the blood of Jesus. 
Gosh, our God is amazing. Thank you so much, everyone. So, 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 so much. Thank you, Jesus. With love, Jenny. All right, let's, let's praise the Lord for that. Man. God is so good, amen? Man, and I remember, man, just praying for her. You know, I prayed for her uh, when she was here as well. Like, other people pray for her as well. And, uh, you know, when somebody's going through something like that and, they, and they, they're expecting to go back and have to be hospitalized and things like that, and then all of a sudden you hear God intervenes and just completely heals her. I mean, it's an amazing testimony of the goodness of our God. You know, God is good. And, you know, and, and um, you know, she didn't get instantly healed first time people pray for her you know she had to get prayer again and again and again but as she contended for her healing man you know god really poured out his love and manifested in a powerful way um turn to john chapter 8 i want to look at this passage john chapter 8 verse 30 You know, I'm thinking about maybe um, growing out my hair. I'm not sure if I, if I should. I don't have much hair, so if I grow it out, yeah. What did you say, Taryn? <laughs> I could brush it to the side, yeah. Well, that's the thing. If I brush it to the side, it doesn't look like I really brush that much hair because there's not much hair. Anyway, um, that's, that's the side. Anyway, yo, pray with me right now. Everyone, everyone bow your heads with me. Lord, I just thank you, God, for your presence, and we just invite more of your manifest presence into this room right now. God, we desire your grace to be poured out. Right now, I just take authority over, I take authority over and I put a halt to all distractive, disturbing, and destructive measures set up by the enemy. And as an ambassador of Christ, I come to destroy the works of the devil today. And I speak forth the words of life with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I declare that in this place, there will be life that will spring up today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at John chapter 8, look at me with, with me in verse 30. Word of God says, as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Hallelujah. This, teaching, this uh, passage here tells us that Jesus, as he was teaching, many believed in him. Now that sounds like good news for Jesus, but it's important to understand that at this point in the Gospels, believing in Jesus didn't really mean anything. See, most of the people, they didn't have a full revelation and they didn't have a faith in Christ as the Son of God who would die for their sins. So believing in Jesus didn't really mean anything. Now, unfortunately for many people who grow up in the westernized churches of today, believing in Jesus doesn't really mean anything either. There's people who have Christian faith, but doesn't have a deep effect on their lifestyle and upon their decisions. You know, in America, Christians rarely pray or read the Bible. They have the same divorce rate as non-Christians. 
Numerous compromises are being made by so-called Christians. If you look over here in Korea, a nation that has supposedly become very Christianized in the recent decades, people in Korea, Christian men in Korea, have serious issues with adultery and corruption in business. When conflicts arise in the church, many leaders, they resort to manipulation, domination, intimidation to get their way. You hear stories of church splits. Pastors taking off, leaving with a flock. Often in forms that non-Christians will be appalled by. If you look at much of evangelical Christianity, believing in Jesus doesn't seem to really mean anything to many people who profess faith in Christ. And so in John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus addresses these multitudes of people who are supposedly believing in him. And he knows that their faith is shallow. And he turns to them and he says, look at verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You know, this is the word that many people in the church need to hear today. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you know what? Let's not misinterpret these words. Because if you really look at these words, it's full of grace. It's full of grace. You know, Jesus is not saying, if you fail at abiding in my word, you're a phony. I disown you, you're, you're, you're not a true disciple. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Instead, Jesus is painting a picture of what a true disciple looks like. What he's saying is, he's saying, behold, this is what a true disciple looks like. It is a man or woman who will abide in my word. Hallelujah. And by painting this picture, Jesus is forging our identity. And he's also teaching us how to identify true disciples from false converts. How many of you guys know that there are false converts in the church? Is there any false converts in here? Run you raise your hand. Let us know where you are. No, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. There are false converts in the church. You might be like, no, that, that's not possible. Look, Jesus had 12 disciples and one of them was a false convert. If Jesus is the son of God and he's got a Judas among his 12, we probably have a few Judases in here. Now, hallelujah, I'm not here to uh, expose those Judases. <laughs> hallelujah. I'm just saying that they're there, but you know, our job, I don't think our job is to be like, you're a Judas, I knew it! Get out of the church. No, we're, we're to love. We're to love. How did Jesus treat Judas? You know, he didn't, you know, at the, at the, at the last supper, he didn't like, oh, you know, this is my blood. You know, this is my body broken for you. Here, John, here's some for you. Here's some for you, Matthew. Judas, you don't get nothing, you little betrayer. <laughs> oh, did I say that? Like, no, Jesus didn't do that, right? He loved, he showed love and goodness to Judas, despite knowing that he was a son of perdition. 
Now, Jesus is here. He's showing us what a true disciple looks like. And he's also giving us the sermon of how to identify false converts. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, what does it mean to abide in his word? You know, to abide in Jesus' word doesn't just mean to simply memorize and meditate on the word of God. There's a lot of people that read it, that study it, and they are strangers to Christ. You know, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they knew God's word inside and out. And Jesus was just sort of like, you know these scriptures, but you don't know my father. You know all of this religious information, all these things written down, but you have no relationship with the father. You see, Abiding in Jesus' word is not just knowing the Bible, but it is actively putting our trust in his word, nurturing our love relationship with him, and to walk in obedience. That's important that I include all these elements of what it means to abide in his word. You know, there's a lot of people that um, that think they abide in this word, but there's no obedience in their life. A lot of people, they have a form of powerless Christianity where the anointing and the power of God doesn't flow through their life. And then they obey the Lord in the ways they know how, but they're not truly obeying the Lord in the ways in G- which Jesus taught his disciples. You know, Jesus said of the Great Commission... Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you. What does that everything include? Well, when you study the Gospels, Jesus taught his disciples. He said, go to this town, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. That is included in the teachings you're supposed to give to everybody. But there's a, there's a form of Christianity today, especially in the Western world, where none of this goes on. There's no obedience in any of these aspects. They try and then it doesn't work, so they say, oh, I guess God does, just doesn't do that stuff anymore. I guess demons, they, uh, they're taking a vacation. I guess they're, they're just, all they do is just affect some thoughts. But they, they don't move in the ways they used to in Jesus' day. I guess Jesus does, he heals people sovereignly, but it, there's gifts of healing and people regularly moving in miraculous healings. Yeah, the, the stuff doesn't happen anymore. But I'm telling you, to abide in his word means obedience. And obedience means obedience in everything Jesus taught. Hallelujah. Let me keep going. I don't want to get caught up in that. John 14, 21. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. In other words, Jesus is saying to abide in his word means to have a love relationship with him. And love relationship with him is also tied closely with obedience here. John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. 
you know, at this hour, God is restoring truth. We are not inventing truth. God is restoring truth. And, and you might be like, well, if you have, if you have come from a very, uh, conservative evangelical Christian background or from a Presbyterian church or something like that where you didn't really see the power of God and all this charismatic movement stuff, the Pentecostal church stuff is very new to you. You might be like, I don't know about all that. Everything's suspect because you didn't grow up with it. And within your church, which is kind of like my church because I grew up in a Presbyterian church, I just thought that God just stop, doesn't do that anymore. He just do, he does it here and there, but it's not his desire to really manifest that through his people. And you might be like, well, if it was it's God's desire for his spirit to be poured out on all flesh and for people to continue to prophesy, for people to move out in power and in miracles, then why is it for so many hundreds and hundreds of years of church history, we don't see it? And I'll give you an answer to that. You know, um, I love, I love uh, my professor last one year ago. There's a professor named Dr. J, Dr. Julius. Hallelujah. He's a reformed dude. And, you know, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm very reformed in my theology. And I love the reformed tradition. It's so rich. It's so rich. So much uh, the reformed tradition offers us. I mean, it, it, what, the way I see it, the reformed tradition is what offered us the gospel. I mean, they, they really were at the forefront of restoring the gospel message back to the church. And Dr. J, I had given this presentation uh, about Dr. R.T. Kendall. I'm talking about how R.T. Kendall was not familiar with all the movements of the Spirit. And then later on in his life, uh, he met this guy, uh, one of the Kansas City prophets. And, and God started to activate the Holy Spirit into his ministry. And then he started to embrace that. He got persecuted for that. But he stood strong and he continues to speak out and believe that God moves by his power today. And I gave this presentation and Dr. J says, I just have one question for you, Christian. I said, bring it on, Dr. J. You know I love you. And he said, if it is God's will, and however you want to define his will, if it is God, let's say God's desire for him to move in all of these ways, then why is it that for much of church history, we don't see it. Why is it that there's large blocks of the Christian church that don't experience it at all? Why is that? And, uh, you know, it's a good question. <laughs> so I, I stood there and I said, Dr. J, I, I, um, I don't have an answer for you right now. I was like, Holy Spirit, come on, give me that answer. Give me, put the words in my mouth. And, uh, and then I said, uh, I, I, I don't know. All I know is I believe this is the way he's moving now. Hallelujah. And, but that question had haunted me. Until I read um, a couple books recently, um, a book by John Eckhart. And in it, he was talking about the theme of restoration and how Christians need to understand restoration in order to properly understand history and how God moves and deals with his people on earth. You see, Dr. J was saying, since most of Christian history doesn't include this stuff except in the early church, 
my conclusion is God just only did it for the early church. And after that, once we had the Bible, we didn't need it anymore. That was his conclusion. But what I wanted to later on come back and say to him after reading John Eckhart's book was, well, if that's the case, then what about the hundreds and hundreds of years in the dark ages when we didn't really have the proper gospel? When we didn't even have the Bible in common people's hands. It was all in Latin. How come if it's God's will for us to have the truth of the gospel, why, why did we have this period where we didn't have it? Where many people had to meditate and like Martin Luther had to really get into the original text of the uh, of Romans and, 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 and just meditate and pray and you know, had to contend to, to find the truth of the gospel. Okay, and, and there's one word for all this. It's restoration. It's restoration. You see, if you, if you look at the Bible, there's themes of restoration everywhere. Restoration. Look at, look at the Israelites, right? 400 years they're in slavery in Egypt. And then God sends Moses, deliverer, and begins to restore. After that 400 years of slavery, they have another 40 years of wandering in the desert. Where God is trying to restore certain truths and kind of restore relationship with his people. But it's just not happening. There's a lot of satanic backlash, attack. There's a lot of stubborn flesh and pride. But what happens? Right? He brings them into the promised land. Restoration. So what I'm trying to say by this, I'm at, that is a point. I'm on still page two. Adam, you put me on time. I'm trying to, I'm trying to end on time. Anyway, check this out. What I'm trying to say is, what I want to say back to Dr. J, with all honor to Dr. J, I, I love him, right? What I wanted to say is, just as the gospel was put into the dark by satanic powers, I believe the movement of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, is not that it ceased. It's just that Satan has worked very, very diligently to oppress it, to put it away. But praise the Lord that he's bringing seasons of restoration in which he is awakening it and restoring it to the church. And there is a restoration of truth and then there's a restoration of power. And it had to come in that order, I believe. And so we have a reformation of truth with the Bible being translated into the common language. People getting the basic message of the gospel. You are saved by grace through faith. This is not a, of yourselves. It's the gift of God. That the truth gets restored. And at this hour, I believe what God is doing, He's restoring power back to the church. The power that was lost. But the power that we see being demonstrated in Acts is the power that God is restoring back. For every promise He's made in Scripture... He will fulfill. But He will do it through restoration. So, is what's going on right now with the fivefold ministries being restored, with the gifts of the Spirit being restored, are these new movements? And my answer is no. These are simply restoration. Hallelujah. Now, I'm sorry, I gotta get back to my message here. That was a little bit of a tangent. But come back to my message. If you abide in his words, you are truly his disciples. Now check this out. Uh, you might be saying to yourself, well, what if I've been backsliding and I'm not walking in obedience? What if I've been struggling with doubts of, about certain aspects of Christianity? Does that mean that I'm not a true disciple? 
that I'm not a true Christian. Well, I believe that if you put your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive them into your life, you are a true disciple. Maybe you're not living it out and experiencing it like you would, lo- you would like, like God would w- desire and want for you. But you are a true disciple. God loves you by name. And nothing you do can make him stop loving you. You see, becoming a true disciple is not dependent on how well you abide in his word. And remaining a true disciple is not conditional on how well you abide in his word. You become a true disciple by the amazing grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one should boast. Once you are in God's love, none of your periods of apathy or rebellion can ever separate you from it. So I'm trying to establish. Check this out. What I'm saying is, oftentimes... The reason many Christians backslide, rebel, or struggle is because they've been lied to. It's because they've been hurt, betrayed. It's because they're living in bondage and they have nowhere to talk to. They have no one to talk to about it. There's no hope for freedom. So they feel so terrible about themselves because here they, on Sundays they're praising God, but in their, in their, in their week... They're living in bondage with all kinds of secret sins. Or there's wounds that have never been dealt with in the heart. The reckless debauchery, the promiscuity, the drugs, the anger, the recklessness, it is all really a hidden cry for help. And I believe Jesus sees the heart of such persons. He does not call their spiritual walk a sham or a fake. He does not think weak love is fake love. See, it is his burning passion to set such persons free. Set them free from guilt and shame and pain and condemnation. And to bring such persons into intimacy with himself. The reason why God wants you to walk holy... It's because holiness is the, is the, is the, provides the closest ground for intimacy with God. Hallelujah. And in painting a picture of a true disciple, Jesus is not only painting the picture of a true disciple. Check out what he's saying here. He's providing hope for freedom. Look at it again. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The word of God is the truth. And if you will abide in the word, you will know the truth. Abide meaning relate, obey, meditate. As you abide in the word, you will know the truth. And the more truth you know, the more freedom you will experience. The Bible tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You see, the word of God can cut you. It can set you free and heal you from every hurt 
every lie, every bondage, no matter how long you've had it, he can set you free. If all you do is just seek and pursue to be a true disciple, Jesus is saying, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You see, I'm trying to explain that his words are full of grace. His words are full of grace. You see, the irony is he's talking to this crowd. You know, you know, Jesus is talking to this crowd that supposedly believed in him. If you read the rest of the context, right? You know what he, he calls them later? They're like, we are children of Abraham. He's like, yeah, you're right, you're children of Abraham. You know what? You know what? You have no place for my word in your life. You know why? Because you, all you want to do is obey your father. And they're like, what are you talking about? Our father. Who is our father? Well, you know what? Your father is the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. All he knows is lies. He's the father of lies. The irony is he's talking to this crowd. He ends up calling this crowd children of the devil. And, you know, and I'm also you know, reforming my theology. So I, I believe that Jesus, what he saw here, these are Judases. These are not, maybe not all of them, but you know, these are people. He was being harsh. When you call somebody children of the devil, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? And the irony is he's talking to this crowd, but he's really talking to the people overhearing it. Do you hear what I'm saying here? You ever get, you ever get blessed by overhearing something? person wasn't even talking to you, but God speaks to you through something you overheard. Well, that's what's happening here. I believe Jesus is saying it loud enough so the people who overhear it, they get blessed. These people overhearing it, okay, I got to abide in this word. That's the only way I'm going to be a true disciple. Okay. And Jesus is saying, look, you, if you strive to be a true disciple, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's speaking the words of hope for every person watching. You see, true disciples that are living in bondage, they yearn for freedom. They yearn for freedom. People that are false converts, they have no such yearning. In fact, they refuse to even acknowledge that there's a problem. Look at, look at, look at it, verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They don't even see that there's a problem. But Jesus answers them and he says this. Once again, I believe he's talking to the people that are overhearing him. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Have you ever observed the enslaving nature of sin? The truth of what Jesus' words are. You know, a person may sin in some area of his life out of his free will. But after that first time, his free will becomes more inclined to do that sin again. And if a person gives in again, eventually, they're free. It's not accurate to call their free will free. Because... They are enslaved. They are addicted. They are, they are, it becomes a habit and a stronghold in their lives. It is the enslaving nature of sin. 
This is how people find themselves struggling with eating disorders. Gambling. Violence. Pornography. In the beginning, it was their free will. It was their choice. But after a while, they find themselves enslaved to it. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If you think that you can begin living a sinful lifestyle and then stop whenever you choose and give your life to God, Jesus is saying you're seriously deceived. Satan knows this truth well. That's why he wants to tempt you to sin that first time. He knows if he can get you to do it once, he can get you hooked. Especially if you don't talk about it to anybody. Now, the good news is, verse 35 and 36. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This ties in with what Jesus said earlier. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I am the son. And I have authority to set you free. I am not only the son, but remember what I said earlier about you know the truth? Well, check this out. I am the truth. And if you will get to know me, you will get free. Because if the son sets you free, oh, you're going to be free indeed. It's not partial freedom. There is complete wholeness. Somebody hear me here. Maybe some of you have settled for whatever works. Maybe you feel like, man, I, I, I can never experience the agape love of God in my communities and with my friendships. So, you know, what? I just settle for it. And I'm just going to just reciprocate whatever compromise love other people give me. No. He wants you to come to complete wholeness and freedom. Because when he sets you free, you're free indeed. Now, the question is, do you want to know the truth? Do you want to know the truth? You know, you go to Yonsei University, there's a big old rock on campus. Behind, uh, near Loose Chapel, there's a big old rock. It says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hallelujah. Do you want to know truth? Well, his name is Jesus. And if you will give your life to him, he will give you true freedom. He will set you free from whatever it is. You see, Jesus endured betrayal at the hands of one of his disciples so that he could set you free from the bitterness and hurt that you've experienced from the betrayal of your closest friends and family. Jesus was punched, slapped, spat on so that he can set you free from all your feelings of shame. Jesus was denied three times by one of his closest disciples so that he could set you free from those who've rejected or disowned you. 
Jesus was beaten with 39 lashes and bled severely in order to take up your illnesses so that you can be healed and live free from disease. He was finally nailed to the cross and gave up his life so that God's righteousness may be satisfied in providing us with forgiveness. Then on the third day, he arose so that we can be set free from our slavery to sin and death and be resurrected to new life and a new identity in Christ. Jesus wants you to be set free. Let me say it again. Jesus wants you to be set free. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And I'm telling you right now, the truth, his name is Jesus. Truth is not just information. Truth is a person. And the way you encounter that person is you just, you just come to him. You don't have to clean yourself off and then come to Jesus. Uh-uh. You just come to Jesus. He'll straighten it out. He'll set you free. You know, some people are afraid to come to church because they're like, man, I got to get my life together first. I don't qualify for church. But you know what Jesus said? Now, let me tell you something about qualification. You get hit by a car, you qualify for an ambulance. You come down with a disease, you qualify for a doctor. If you are living in bondage, you qualify. For a redeemer, a liberator, a savior that will set you completely free. Bow your heads with me right now. Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall not be your master. Because you are not under law, but under grace. If Christianity, for, for in your eyes, has always been a set of re- religious rituals and rules and regulations, I'm here to tell you that's not Christianity. That is not the gospel. Because if that is what you think of Christianity, then you will just live in slavery for the rest of your life. If that's the version of Christianity you got, then you're still in slavery. The Bible says your sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. When you're under grace, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's not about getting everything done right. It's about learning how to love the Lord your God and pursuing that love relationship. It's not about just focusing on all the laws. It's about being led by the Holy Spirit and being led by the law of love. And there's anyone in here, you come today, and you have never put your trust in Jesus, and you would like to, I want to invite you to pray this out loud right now. And I'd like to ask the congregation to join in and help them out. I just say this right now, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you right now as my Savior and Lord. I believe you are the truth. And you will set me free. 
I'm tired of living in sin. And I repent of my ways. I want you to turn my life around. I'm making a commitment to follow you. Amen. You know, if you pray that today for the first time, then I declare to you that you are born again by the Spirit of God and that God is now taking up residence in you and is giving you a fresh beginning. And if you did pray that for the first time today, we, we want to ask you to let us know because we want to set you up for water baptism if it's possible. Because water baptism, you know, it's simply, it's just an official welcoming ceremony into the family of God. If you've never been properly water baptized, let me, let me t- talk to you. You should. It's a command of the Lord. It doesn't save you, but it symbolizes the salvation you have received. It celebrates it. Hallelujah. And when you are set free by the Son, Jesus does not go to you and say, you are an ex-slave and continually remind you you're a slave. Remember you're a slave. Remember you were a slave. Remember where you came from. You're a slave. You're a slave. That's not how Jesus works. Imagine if you were married to somebody and you came out of a promiscuous lifestyle. And every day your spouse says, remember where you came from? Remember what you used to do? Remember, 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 remember? That's not love. And that's not what the word of God says. Once Jesus sets you free, he no longer calls you a slave. He calls you a son. And he begins to trust you with things. And he invites you into a friendship with God. Begins to show you what authority in the kingdom means. The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit of God will be called sons of God. But you know what? There's so many people in here still that are already Christians, but you're living in slavery. You're living in slavery. And you know what? Jesus wants to set you free. And you know what? Let me, let me, let me, I don't want to. I want to talk about some people get instant freedom. I'll, I'll, I'll confess. There's a lot of testimonies out there. People get instant freedom. They come into a church. They come to an altar call. Somebody prays for power of God comes on them. And all their addictions of cigarettes, drugs, sex, whatever. It just all melts off. And boom, they're set free. And then they say, hallelujah. When the sun sets, you're free. You're free indeed. That's what I've experienced. There's instant freedom. And then there's gradual freedom. But can I say right now, Jesus specializes in both. Just because he didn't give you instant freedom doesn't mean he ain't going to set you free. You see, because in the gradual story, there's a beauty that is missed in the instant stories. But let me tell you right now, whether you get instant freedom or gradual freedom, if the sun sets you free, you will be free. Hallelujah. Right now, I just want to um, just invite anyone. All right, Egon, okay. I just want to invite anyone right now. You're living under bondage, and you want to experience freedom.
want you to stand to your feet right now. Stand to your feet all over this room. Holy Spirit, begin to quicken your word in the hearts of your people. That they may experience full freedom. We thank you that, God, you look upon our hearts. And you you do not despise the weak faith and love of the people in this room. But you understand that a lot of times we're struggling with faith is because there's so much hurt. There's so much lies. So much wounds that have yet to be healed. But Lord God, I, I thank you that you are here. Your presence is here to touch those things. And to begin to set people free. And I'm declaring that God, Lord, not only will they get 20% freedom, 50% freedom, but they are on their way to wholeness, 100% freedom. Where they will say without shame, I am no longer a slave, I'm a son. If that's you, if you, if you want to make a stand here today, say, Lord, I want you to set me free. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Lord, I want to be set free. I want to be set free.